Good morning. We are so happy that you're here today, and I appreciate the way that you joined in our song service uh, this morning. And I hope you'll come back and be with us tonight at 5 o'clock. We'd surely love to have you then as well. You know, there's never been anyone that even remotely compares to Jesus Christ, our Savior. Who could you possibly compare to the Creator? Who could you possibly compare to the Creator who became a servant and a Savior for His creation? Who could you possibly compare to the Prince of Life, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords? Who could you compare to the Eternal Son of God? The bodily resurrection of our Lord from the dead as an historical fact has been under attack from God's enemies ever since the day it happened. And yet Paul emphatically stated as we just read in our scripture reading, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, Christ is the very first one to have come forth from the grave, never to die again, thus granting us the assurance that we will achieve the victory, that death will not keep us in the grave because our victory comes through Jesus Christ and because of his victory over death. And while many today in the religious world are remembering the resurrection of our Lord through their man-made traditions, I want us this morning to stop and consider the best ways that we can remember that most notable of earthly events. I want us to look at some ways today that God desires for us to remember the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. May I suggest first of all this morning that we remember the resurrection of Christ whenever we open up our Bibles and we study the word of God. All four gospel accounts record the resurrection of our Lord on the first day of the week. You know, I think about John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, as Mary Magdalene had come to the tomb there early on the first day, and she saw the stone rolled away, and she immediately ran to the apostles. And you recall the account there, how that Peter and John ran toward the tomb, and John outran Peter. You know why he outran Peter, don't you? He was a lot faster than Peter. But he outran Peter uh, to the grave on that occasion. And we remember the account there of the shock, it seems, that the apostles were in, that Jesus Christ had truly come forth from the grave. And as we open up the pages of God's word, we can relive those events with the disciples who were present, they were first-hand witnesses. They saw the Lord when he came forth from the grave. And when I read God's word and when I read the accounts of what these men saw, I can stand in awe and in amazement 
of the fact that Jesus Christ did rise from the grave. We can celebrate this event with them just like a grandchild might do as he listens to his grandfather tell about certain important events of his life. When I read God's word, when I read the accounts of these inspired writers, I can in my mind go with them as they beheld the resurrected Savior. We can stand next to them through the eye of God's word as they interacted with Jesus after his resurrection. As Jesus on one occasion prepared a meal for those disciples. You see, they thought their Savior was dead. They thought their cause was over. They couldn't really fathom the idea that Jesus Christ, even though he told them that he would die and that he would be raised the third day, in their finite minds, they just couldn't fathom the fact that this could be a reality. Now, we don't have to organize special services or special days to remember the resurrection of our Lord. I can remember the Lord's resurrection every time I open up the pages of God's Word and I read what these men wrote about what they saw and the experiences that they had with Jesus after he came forth from the grave. You know, over in the book of Acts, the Lord's resurrection was a major recurring theme every time the gospel was preached. I count no less than 22 references to the resurrection of Christ when an apostle was preaching the gospel in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 13. In fact, one could not even be an apostle unless he was a witness of the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of our Lord was the center point of the preaching of those first century preachers. And we know how the Jewish leaders were angry. They were annoyed at the fact that the news of the resurrection of Jesus was being preached to the people in Acts chapter 4, 1 through 4. And they did everything in their power to try to stop that news from being delivered to the people. And yet they could not. The number of the disciples multiplied. And of course we know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the assurance that he is in fact the final judge. Over in Acts chapter 17 and verse 31, Paul said, because he has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained and has given assurance to all this by raising him from the dead. That's where true assurance comes from. Our assurance comes from the fact not so much that Jesus died, although that's very important. It's important that Jesus gave his life and his blood for our sins. But true assurance comes from the fact that he was victorious over the grave. And he came forth as our Savior. And thus, we have the assurance of our victory. But secondly today... I think we remember the resurrection of Christ 
every time we mention the gospel plan of salvation. Whenever we obey the gospel plan of salvation, we remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want you to ask yourself this morning and think about it for a moment. Why did you become a Christian? Now just stop and think about that. Why did you become a child of God? Wasn't it because that you believed with all of your heart that the Son of God was here? That the Son of God lived and that he died and that he rose from the dead? Didn't you realize that you were without hope and you were lost in your sins without a Savior? And Jesus Christ, you understood, gave his life and his blood for you. And because of his victory, even over death, he gave us the assurance that we would also have that victory. Hebrews chapter 5 verses 8 and 9 says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things that he suffered. And having been perfected, that is through his life and his death and ultimately his resurrection, having been made perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. We became followers of Jesus Christ because we believed in and we still believe that Jesus Christ was perfected. And that being true, we believe with all of our hearts that our Lord will grant us eternal life if we obey him and submit our will to his will. Have you ever thought about the fact that the very act of obeying the gospel centers on the resurrection of our Lord. The resurrection is mentioned in every reference to every step that we must take in becoming children of God. For example, take belief in Christ and confession of our faith. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, Paul said that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and watch it here, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And the next verse says, For with the heart man believes and goes toward righteousness. And with the mouth we confess, going toward salvation. You see, it's tied to the very acts that we emphasize in regard to obeying Jesus Christ or what about repentance in Romans chapter 6 beginning in verse 10 Paul said for the death that he died he died to sin once for all but the life that he lives he lives to God that's the resurrection Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is repentance right there. We die to sin and we live for the Lord in the future. Or consider how baptism is even tied to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Colossians 2 and verse 12 that we're buried with him in baptism 
in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Or what about 1 Peter 3 and verse 21? There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul in Romans talks about how that we're buried with our Lord in baptism. And we are immersed in that watery grave of baptism, just as Christ was also put in the grave. And in that immersion in water, we contact the saving blood of Jesus Christ. We are baptized into his death, and we arise to walk in newness of life. You see, there has to be something about baptism that emulates the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. When we obey our Lord in the act of baptism, we are emulating the gospel. We are buried just as our Lord was buried. We die to sin. And just as our Lord was victorious from the grave, we also rise to walk in newness of life. Over in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, we talk about the concept of being born again. And here Peter emphasizes how that's tied to the resurrection. Peter said, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. You see, the source of our faith, the source of our hope in God is because Jesus was victorious over the grave. In verse 22, he said, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. You see, when we teach the gospel, when we obey the gospel, when we obey God's plan of salvation, we are thinking about the resurrection of our Lord. But then let me suggest as well today that we also remember the resurrection of our Lord every first day of the week when we partake of the Lord's Supper. It's really sad to me that for many people, today is one of only a few times in a person's life that they're going to really commemorate the Lord's death. Sadly, for many people, they'll only commemorate the Lord's death maybe once a year. I think about a church advertisement I heard on the radio this week inviting folks from the community to come to this particular church. And they said, 
in this radio ad, come every first Sunday of the month as we commemorate the Lord's death and have Holy Communion with us. And yet when we turn to the book of Acts and we observe the New Testament church, we see how the New Testament church observed the Lord's death every first day of the week. Now it would be perfectly fine to remember and commemorate the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection on the first Sunday of every month if the Bible said upon the first Lord's day of every month when the disciples came together to break bread. But it just doesn't say that. The Bible says upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. It was obvious to them when they were to commemorate the Lord's death and how it was to be done. And that's why today we in the Lord's church engage in this same practice today. Every first day of the week, when we assemble around the Lord's table and we partake of these emblems, we remember, we reflect, we think about the Lord's body that was given for us. We think about the Lord's blood that was spilt as we partake of the juice of the grape. We think about what our Lord did for us on Calvary and we contemplate the victory that is ours as he came forth from the grave. And of course, Jesus instituted the memorial of his death before he died in Matthew 26, 26 through 29. And that fact alone is unique to any other memorial. How many other people have created their own memorial for their own death? And our Lord told his disciples that he would not observe this memorial again until the day that I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, the disciples really didn't understand at the time our Lord made this memorial, at the time he instituted. But Jesus was reminding his followers of something he had told them several times earlier, that he was going to die and that ultimately he would be raised. And Paul adds, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Again, implying the resurrection. Every Sunday when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming to the world our belief in what Jesus did for us, that he gave his life and his blood and that he arose from the grave on the third day. And we will continue to proclaim that every first day of the week until the Lord comes. But let me also suggest today that we remember the resurrection of Christ when we stop and consider the wonderful reward he has promised the faithful. When we stop and we consider our hope of heaven, we 
are remembering the resurrection. You know, why do we have a living hope? Why do we have the hope that one day we can live with God forever in heaven? Is it just because Paul said we do? And he certainly said that in Colossians chapter 1, 4, and 5. Why do we believe today that by faithfully serving God in this life that one day he's going to give us an incorruptible body? That he's going to give us an eternal home in heaven? Why do we believe that one day as we breathe our last that down the road in the future that this mortal will put on immortality? That the physical even though it will return to the dust from whence it came, that one day we will come forth from the grave? Why do we believe that? Why do we attend the funeral of a faithful Christian and have hope of seeing him or her again? You know, I'm thinking about the Urquharts this morning, and, you know, Sister Anne's time is so very, very near. Her life on this earth is about to end. It could end at any moment. But why is it when I go, as I have done in many other situations, and I'm with a family in their situation where the one who is about to leave this life is a faithful Christian, how come Jimmy has an attitude of hope? Oh, sure, there's sorrow and loss. But why is it that Jimmy as he knows what's about to happen, how come Jimmy has an attitude that, you know, this is not the end, that it's simply the beginning? And why is it, as I've observed many other people in that same situation, as they, as they see their loved one, maybe it's a spouse, or maybe it's even a child or a parent, how come those individuals have hope that something better lies beyond the grave. A place where there's no more pain, no more crying, no more tears, no more sorrow. Why is it, as Paul talked about to the Thessalonians, that you know when death comes we grieve and we feel loss and we have sorrow, but we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. I can't imagine having no hope as life comes to an end. I probably shouldn't even mention this. It just came to my mind, but I was at the gym the other day, and I'm trying to figure out what organization it was for. It was an atheistic organization, and a man named Ron Reagan, and I'm going to Google this sometimes. Maybe you can as well. I want to see it again. He was advocating atheism. And joining this particular group. But I remember his words as he closed. And it really broke my heart to hear somebody say this. He said, I'll see you in hell. He was making a mockery of the Bible, a belief in God, of New Testament Christianity, of the hope that we believe in today and we would be willing to give our lives for. And yet... When we come to the end of life, how come we have peace knowing what lies beyond this life? Well, folks, it's only because of Jesus Christ. 
And the fact that he was victorious over the grave, thus giving us the assurance that death will not keep us bound. We will overcome. We will be victorious. And we remember the resurrection when we think about the hope that we have. And why do we attend the funeral of a faithful Christian and have hope of seeing that person again? Isn't it because we are thinking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? You know, at funerals for faithful Christians, we always emphasize that this is a celebration of life. Certainly it's a time of sorrow as we bid our farewells, but it's a time of joy. It is a time of celebration because we are reflecting on the promise that our God made to us through his word. For example, in John 14 verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, you believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus being there is going to be enough, but think about all the faithful of all the ages that are going to be there in heaven when this life is over. Those that we have known in this life who've now gone on and passed away, the faithful of all ages will be there. Peter said in 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us unto a living hope. It's alive. It's vibrant. It's with us day in and day out. He has begotten us unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then he says, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. You see, that's the hope that allows us to keep on keeping on. We know, matter, we know that no matter what transpires in this life, that there is nothing that can keep us from our eternal home in heaven if we're faithful. In 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And so you see, any time we think about our reward, our home in heaven, we must remember and we do remember the resurrection of our Lord. But lastly, may I suggest today that we remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ every single time we pray in Jesus' name. Whenever we pray in our Lord's name, we remember the resurrection. Even in our prayers to God, there is a recalling, there is a remembering that Jesus came forth from the grave. Because you see, all acceptable prayers are offered only through the name of Jesus. Ephesians 2 and verse 18 says, Through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. 
I love 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. This is the confidence that we have in him. That is the Son of God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And And we know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. What about 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6? For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. You know, whenever we pray to God and we approach his throne, we are thinking about, remembering, and even celebrating the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. Because you see, we don't pray through a dead Savior. It is because our Savior is alive today that we can approach our God through the avenue of prayer through Jesus Christ. In Romans 8 and verse 34, it is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. And I love Hebrews 7 and verse 25. He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, seeing he always lives to make intercession for us. Yes, folks, it's wonderful to remember the resurrection of our Lord. And I hope today that we will be motivated to remember that resurrection in the way that God desires that we remember it. When we open up God's word and we read about it, we remember the resurrection. When we consider the plan of salvation and we teach the plan of salvation, we are remembering the resurrection. When we gather every first day of the week and we partake of the Lord's Supper, commemorating his death, burial, and resurrection, we remember that Jesus was victorious over death. When we contemplate our our home in heaven, we are remembering his resurrection. Whenever we pray to our God in the name of Jesus, we are remembering that Jesus rose from the dead. I hope today that we will leave this building with a renewed emphasis on the importance of what our Lord has done for us. As we go about our daily activities throughout today and tomorrow on our jobs and at school, let's focus on the fact that Jesus overcame the grave. And that's why I'm motivated to live for him each day. This morning, you may be subject to the invitation. You need maybe to remember the Lord's resurrection as you obey the gospel and are baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. This morning, if we can help you in any way,